Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. When you hear someone talk about blood sugar, you might zone out. That's because a lot of us think that it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic that everyone should understand. If you want to feel good and have energy, you need to balance your blood sugar. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar right after they eat, and spikes in blood sugar make your pancreas work harder. They also make you older, and they put you at a greater risk for weight gain, heart attack, and stroke. Here's why I'm talking about this. Bioptimizers has a new product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. You take two capsules 15 minutes before a meal. Your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles for use as fuel instead of fat. That means you get stable energy and you don't have that post-meal crash. Better yet, you can improve your workouts and get better gains at the gym. But the biggest benefit is that it'll improve your overall health. Just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health/dave for an exclusive 10% off. For 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is senolytics. Senolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time, and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Senolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Senolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on Qualia Synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30 and you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger, try Qualia Synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com Dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code Dave at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave. Use code Dave. You guys ready? All right. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Isn't that awesome? There we go. Today's cool fact of the day is that selenium is a mineral that's pretty commonly found in some parts of the world, but not other parts of the world, can help to reverse the effects of mercury poisoning. In fact, having selenium in your seafood, which naturally occurs, can help to reduce the risk, but not eliminate the risk of mercury in your food. And because selenium is so important to mitochondrial function, the island where I live, which is selenium deficient, uh, they've actually brought moose to the island over and over. There's not enough selenium to make moose happy, so they swim back to the mainland. Apparently it matters, at least if you're a moose. Interesting. If you're listening at work or in your car, and this sounds a little different than normal, that's because this is recorded live in Denver with a few hundred of the coolest people in the audience. And if you enjoyed today's show, which you're about to enjoy, I would absolutely appreciate it if you went to iTunes and you left a review. It's one of the easiest things you can do. We're at more than 400 episodes, which is 
geez, I don't know how many hours of time it takes to do all the work to get them ready. But anyway, that's a whole lot of investment of time. It takes you 30 seconds to leave a five-star review, and I'd be super stoked if you do that. In fact, if you're in the live studio audience and you do it from your phone, I won't object. <laughs> Today's guest is Isabella Wentz. She is, first and foremost, as she says, a health nerd. She's also a doctor of pharmacy, clinical pharmacist, and someone who, like me, had Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And this is your second time, third time on Bulletproof Radio? Fourth time. Fourth time. There's a reason that Isabella keeps coming back on Bulletproof Radio. It's because she knows her stuff. <laughs> and I know a lot about thyroids. I fixed my Hashimoto's. And when I read Isabella's books, I'm like, oh, something kind of I didn't know, even more, the stuff about tobacco and autoimmunity, just all sorts of crazy stuff. She's dug it all up. And my new book, Headstrong, is a really, really good book. But her new book <laughs> is one step above it on the New York Times list. So, so you are talking to, or at least you're hearing an interview with someone who is now in her second week on the New York Times list and still kicked my ass on my first week. That's pretty legit, I gotta say. So, congratulations. Thank you. All right. The name of your new book. Hashimoto's Protocol. Oh, you have to tell us the full subtitle. Did you memorize it? <laughs> so, it's a 90-day plan for taking your health back and eliminating thyroid symptoms. You said it backwards. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. I can tell you guys, I don't know the subtitle in my book at all. 12-week two weeks something. It was headstrong was the important part, for God's sake. <laughs> so I was impressed that you remembered that. I was just testing whether you had brain fog. Mm. Not today. I took a whole bunch of your supplements backstage. <laughs> so I noticed you were kind of bouncing around a little bit. That explains it. All right. So what we're going to talk about today, because you've been on the show before, is we're going to go a little bit deeper on what happened when you got Hashimoto's and also what it does to your energy. So tell me about when you first figured out that you had this and what it did to your brain specifically? Mm. So I had been struggling with chronic fatigue for almost a decade by the time I found out I had Hashimoto's. I started with having symptoms in my first year of undergrad. And I was, I went from this like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed kid, I was called an energizer bunny by, you know, everybody that knew me or a busy bee, bumblebee. I was just always so bubbly and energetic when all of a sudden, during my first year in college, I'm finding myself um, missing class. And I was like super type A, straight A student, just like really obsessive about like having the best grades. And I was missing class because I couldn't get up in the morning. Um, in fact, one day I was, um, you know, I was getting ready for my final exam. It's the night before and I, I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna study. I'm gonna just really, really study hard for this exam, it's really important. And so I went to take a nap at around 2 p.m. Um, and I actually woke up the following morning at 9 a.m. And my final exam had started at 7.30 that morning. And I'm like jumping out of my dorm room bed, I'm like running over and um, unfortunately I didn't do so well in class that semester and this was quite devastating because you know I really wanted to become a pharmacist and help people and, and they kind of don't let in uh, people into pharmacy school when, when they don't have great grades. And so that just sort of continued. It was like um, I was sleeping for 14 to 16 hours without, without feeling refreshed. 
Um, eventually, I learned to work around that, and I worked my way down to sleeping about 12 hours each night. And um, I missed out on most of my 20s because of this. So when everybody else was out with friends and partying, I was like sleeping. Um, everybody else was, was achieving things, and I was like, okay, I either have to sleep or study, and that was the, how I got through pharmacy school. Um, things just kept going downhill from that point on, and I just kept having more and more symptoms, where I started having carpal tunnel, I had acid reflux, irritable bowel syndrome. Um, eventually, I started having panic attacks, and then I, I had brain fog so bad that I was... <laughs> I, w I was at work and I would have to write everything down because I was afraid that I was going to miss something important. And I would have to obsessively like review my notes every single day because I just thought there was no way that I would be able to remember anything. Um, my husband, Michael, who's here, he would, he would make jokes about my memory and I was like, like very kindly and say, oh honey, I'm going to write this down for you because we know how your memory is. And I'm like, that's not me. I used to be sharp. I used to be smart. So I have to kind of wonder. The jokes were funny every time because you didn't remember them. <laughs> yeah, I think he, he said that joke like once or twice, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I actually believe that, Isabella. <laughs> so, in your book, uh, your new book, you have a 90-day plan for reversing autoimmune thyroid conditions. Uh, quick question for the audience. How many of you have a thyroid issue that you know about? All right, for people who are listening, I'd say roughly 40% of the room. And how many of you know someone has a thyroid condition if it's not you? Pretty much the entire room. This is a massive problem in society, and it's mostly undiagnosed. In fact, what percentage of people have subclinical thyroid problems and don't know it? So actually 27% of the population in the United States has Hashimoto's, and most of them do not know it. So when we look at the statistics of how many of those actually know, um, we're looking at three to 5% of people that are actually diagnosed out of the 27%. So it, it's just, it's crazy because millions of people are walking around each day thinking that um, it's their fault that they're overweight, that they're tired, that they're you know depressed, and it, it really is their thyroid. So 10 years of struggling, or a little more than 10 it sounds like, yeah. or 90 days. I, I don't know, yeah. It, it, for me, it was like um, nine years until I found out I was diagnosed and then a few more years until I got my health back. And since I started working with clients and, and dialing in my protocols, we've been able to see results actually in as little as two weeks, seeing 65% improvement, and then within 90 days, 80% improvement. Uh, the reason that I invited Isabella here on stage with you is that all of you know someone and roughly almost half of you have issues with this. This is one of those things that saps your energy, it saps your willpower, and it just makes you tired all the time. And what I figured out with, with Headstrong and even the Bulletproof Diet before that it is like, what is the nature of willpower? And all the energy that you make comes from electricity in your body. And the thyroid hormone controls how much electricity your cells make. So no wonder like you're feeling crappy and no wonder you yell at people you don't like and you sleep all the time and all that sort of stuff. And it's not like it's an on-off sort of thing, right? Like there are people who have just a little bit of this. What happens if you're just a little bit Hashimoto's? So for people that have like the very beginning stages of Hashimoto's, a lot, a lot of times the early symptoms are gonna be anxiety and just a feeling that something, something is off about your body. All of a sudden you feel sort of like a stranger in your own body. It's very hard to describe. Um, you start 
wanting to withdraw from people around you and really in a way a, a lot of a lot of my clients a lot of my readers and people I've interviewed will say that they they just feel like there's a wall around them that's preventing them from showing up in the world how how they wish they could when i had hashimotos it was kind of life changing they actually just diagnosed thyroid problems not hashimotos at first and this was maybe almost Geez, almost 20 years ago, 18 years ago. And the first time I had thyroid hormone, I'm like, holy crap, like they gave me cocaine. <laughs> and for the record, I've actually truly never tried cocaine, but this is what I imagined cocaine would be. It doesn't seem like a smart biohacking drug to me, so. Yeah, I don't think so. What do you think? You're a pharmacologist. Like, should I? Yeah, I don't think that's a good one. <laughs> Put Sorry. <her> on the <laughs> spot. <laughs> too, too many side License effects. at risk. See, yeah. that, that's the right answer. <laughs> so you can't take my biohacking license, so I can say whatever I want, which is kind of fun. <laughs> I like it. Uh, but it, it was literally a game changer. And like, I went on a business trip once, and I forgot my thyroid. I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to die, because it, it's literally like I'm myself, or at least partly myself again. Uh, so I called and had a friend like go to my place and like FedEx it to me <laughs> wherever I was, just because like it's it's critical to survival. And you get used to feeling like this because unless you get this, this sudden, you know, something just whacked me over the head, if it's a slow decline as your immune system gets more and more uh, into the, the mode of attacking your thyroid gland, it, it, you, don't, you don't just sort of wake up one day with Hashimoto's, at least I never did. Did you? Like, do you know? Because you work with enough people, do some people just wake up with Hashimoto's one day and like, God, my life sucks? Or is it like there was a slow <laughs> decline? So it's a progressive condition, right? Yeah. There are five stages to Hashimoto's. The very first stage, you just have the genetic predisposition, and um, I, I have a whole theory about it that we could talk about, but I, I actually believe it's the body's way of protecting itself and conserving resources and energy um, from an adaptive physiology standpoint. And so, um, based on studies done in Chernobyl, 80, up to 80% of us can actually have this genetic predisposition to develop the condition. And looking at the stats in the US, I'm not surprised. Um, for all intents and purposes in the first stage, you don't have symptoms, you don't have the condition, you just have the right genes for it. The second stage is when we start getting into symptoms. This is when we start getting into um, having an attack on the thyroid gland. So essentially the immune system recognizes the thyroid gland as a foreign invader and starts attacking it bit by bit. Usually people will say they have anxiety at that point. Um, they might have obsessive compulsive tendencies. They're gonna feel a little bit more tired, maybe gain some more weight, um, their mood might be off. A lot of times they're gonna be at risk for getting misdiagnosed with depression because their um, TSH test, which is the screening test for thyroid disease, will still be normal. As that goes on, they get into stage three, which is subclinical hypothyroidism. At this stage, we're, we're gonna have um, more attack on the thyroid, more thyroid tissue that's been damaged, as well as um, some changes in the TSH, and then we're also gonna be, have more symptoms. If, if people are lucky, they get diagnosed at this point, and sometimes they're given thyroid hormone like you were. Stage four is when we have overt damage to the thyroid gland, um, and so much of it is destroyed that you, you cannot make enough thyroid hormone. And at this stage, you're feeling exhausted, you're feeling overweight, um, your, your mood is likely to be off. This is when most people get diagnosed, they get placed on thyroid hormones, and they're, they're told that's it. Um, it takes about 10 years to get from stage two to stage 10, or to stage uh, four, 
And most people are misdiagnosed with fertility issues, with mental health issues, with fork-to-mouth disease, or all other cra crazy kind of things that doctors say. Stage five is when we progress into other types of autoimmune conditions. So um, the point is that you don't just wake up for it. it with it. it doesn't happen overnight. Um, you might have it within your body, and it's, it's really important to, to figure it out if, what stage you're in so that you can start doing lifestyle changes and start preventing the damage and prevent reversing the progression. Would you support just regular screening for this as something that we should do like at every annual checkup? Absolutely. So, I mean, 27% of us are walking around with this condition and it can cause us to have, you know, fatigue, fertility issues, mental health issues. I've seen people who were misdiagnosed with psychotic disorders. It's, it's been, it's crazy, right? Um, and so I would advocate for everybody to get tested for thyroid antibodies at least once a year and um, women of childbearing age even, even more frequently. If you catch Hashimoto's early, what can you do? Well, you can prevent a whole decade of freaking symptoms, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, that's a big payoff, right? Yeah. Um, the other thing you can do is you could prevent damage to your thyroid gland so then you don't need to take thyroid hormones. And another great thing is you can prevent having autoimmune disease later on in life. Uh, other types of autoimmune disease that don't have hormones for them, like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, those kinds of things. How much does it cost to get a test for Hashimoto's? It, insurance will cover it if you have insurance. If you don't have insurance, you can self-order it through labs like MyMedLab or Direct Labs, all these wonderful labs online. And to get both antibody tests, is it, depending on the lab, it's going to be anywhere from $40 to $100. And, and then they run specials when it's even cheaper. So this well is about as expensive as vitamin D testing, which you should also get on a regular basis. It's not a $500 food allergy panel, which is also kind of useful. What is the most common precipitating thing that turns on Hashimoto's, in your opinion, knowing that there's debate about this? In my opinion, and based on interviewing and um, surveying over 2,000 people with Hashimoto's, stress seems to be the biggest thing. So about 70% of people will say that they were going through a significant stressful period so, in their so life. So husbands are the cause of Hashimoto's? Husbands, wives, in-laws, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So any kind of life stress? Any kind of life stress. Generally, it's going to be a negative stress. Um, so we see people who have... Um, who have like um, a divorce or perhaps they have a death in the family. So, so that can be a negative stress, but it could also be a positive stress, like, like having a, a child. So that can precipitate thyroid disease as well. And, and that's a stressor on the body, right? Would cutting calories and working out several hours a day be a stress on the body? I think so. Um, that, that actually goes back to my whole safety theory. So the reason why we develop thyroid disease is, is basically um, our body thinks that we're in a dangerous state and the thyroid gland can actually sense and send danger signals to our body whenever it senses there's danger around. And, um, you know, kind of going back to the adaptive physiology model, we are these creatures with our ancient genes showing up in today's world. And um, why on earth would a caveman or a cavewoman exercise for seven hours a day and cut their calories? Because they want to get swole? <laughs> close, close. But, you know, generally it's going to be because something really horrible is happening, yeah, right? There's a tiger that won't stop chasing me. That'll generally do it. Right, or, or there's a war, or there's a famine, or there's, there's, uh, there's a flood, or, you know, one of, one of the deadly things happening. And so um, in that kind of situation, it would actually be protective 
for somebody to have a slower metabolism. So studies have found that um, prisoners of war, um, various types of people who have been exposed to trauma, they actually have lower levels of thyroid hormones. And um, it makes sense, like you're gonna be, um, if your metabolism is slowed, you don't need as much food, so you'll survive a famine. Um, if you are hiding in your cave and sleeping all day instead of being out and about, you know, maybe you might survive that war because you might not get stabbed, right, or shanked, whatever. <laughs> whatever they had in those days. Um, clubbed. clubbed. Yeah, there you go. Um, and, and so this is like a really important thing to consider is like what are you doing in your day-to-day -day life that's making you feel like you are threatened? What, what would your inner cavewoman or caveman say? Like what, you know, what is it? What's happening? Is it traffic? Is it stress? Is it calorie restriction, right? So you're saying excessive Facebook alerts cause Hashimoto's? <laughs> um, you know, I really like Facebook, so I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> uh, yeah, your likes didn't go down. There you go. Yeah. No. I don't want my page shut down. <laughs> the, the, the kind of the point behind that question was more how much acute big stress does it take versus just the little things that grind you down? Like, you know, sleep deprivation. So that's a big stressor. Um, being, holding on to feelings of anger, like being like high strung. And, and we find that with a lot of people that have um, thyroid disease, and I, I'm not gonna say everybody, but um, I'm sure there are some like natural couch potatoes, but a lot of them tend to be type A and tend to be very hard on themselves and they push themselves past their limits. And that sends a signal to the body that they're not safe, right? And so it's like, you know, they're like, keep going, keep going. Um, and why would a cave woman keep going, right, when, when she's actually tired? What was the stress that brought yours on? Oh, man. Um, so I was actually, I grew up in Poland, and I lived on the Ukrainian border growing up. And so I was one of the, the lucky that was exposed to Chernobyl when I was um, around three years old. And I'm sure that set off the, the kind of, set the stage, right? Um, about, like I said, about 80% of kids within a certain age range age that I was when I was exposed, ended up with thyroid antibodies for Hashimoto's. Um, the closer they were to Chernobyl, the, you know, the more likely they were to have it. Um, and, and then it was, um, ended up being likely Epstein-Barr virus in college, maybe too many, too many late nights, too many fun parties, yeah. who knows, but uh, definitely Epstein-Barr virus was probably contributing. Do you see things like Lyme disease or my favorite toxic mold, which is like endemic, as being the type of stressors that turn on Hashimoto's? Oh, absolutely. So Lyme disease, there's, uh, there are actually numerous cross-reactive proteins on Borrelia, the Lyme bacteria, that cross-react with the thyroid gland. Um, and so the way that that works is when the Lyme, um, when Borrelia is in the body, the body tries to attack it, right? And there's a mechanism known as molecular mimicry where basically... The, the bacteria is recognized as an enemy, but, but like when I think about the immune system, I think about it taking like little cell phone pictures. If you have an iPhone, like just little snapshots of like, this is, this is a part of the bacteria, this is what we attack. And so this is a protein sequence that gets recognized as an enemy, and there's matching protein sequences on the thyroid gland that can get attacked. And so, um, so definitely with Lyme, this has been really well documented. And 10, I, I would say the longer a person has Lyme, the more likely they are going to develop thyroid disease, Hashimoto's, or Graves' disease. Um, and the same goes with toxic mold exposure. So some people might develop asthma, other people might develop Hashimoto's. I've seen it quite a, quite a few times, and it's usually the people that just can't seem to get better um, usually have mold or Lyme as a, as a trigger.
It, it's a really interesting thing. These are environmental variables that are basically mm -hmm. turning on your immune system so that it, for some reason, which is probably evolutionary, like you're saying, uh, it's, it turns it against, we, we like to think it turns it against us, but it's doing its best to manage what it perceives as a threat environment, saying, well, I don't need this gland anymore to help with that. Well, when you think about um, mold as a toxin, so any kind of toxin can bring in the autoimmune response. And it's basically our body saying, hey, there's a lot of toxicity around. It's not the best time to maybe reproduce. Maybe this is not the best time to be out in the world. Maybe you need to go back in your cave and rest. And then if a person is infected with a condition, perhaps that's a way of, um, of us you know, protecting the herd, that we withdraw to our caves instead of um, you know, infecting everybody else, right? Nature, I've thought about this a lot. <laughs> nature's kind of mean, I, I mean when you think about it. it uh, yeah, I mean, that's why we have biohacking, right? That's also why we have those wasps that lay their eggs inside spiders while they're still alive. <laughs> anytime someone tells you that nature is kind, it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that had to do with Hashimoto's, but I, <laughs> I just like to say that. It makes a, a lot of sense. Yeah, so. there's a link, I'm sure. Conspiracies. I'm sure there's a study on it somewhere, <laughs> connecting the two. In your new book, you talk about, it's like a third of the book, you don't talk about the thyroid. And probably I was like, what a ripoff. <laughs> no. By the way, I've like fully endorsed all of Isabella's work. She's like my go-to thyroid expert uh, when I don't know the answer. So what you're talking about, though, is liver, adrenals, and gut. Why did you go there in a book about Hashimoto's? Um, so, long story short, I had this client, um, I had actually a ho host of clients that just, you know, we were going after all these chronic infections and all these kind of cool and, and fancy triggers and trying all these supplements, and they just weren't getting better. They were sensitive to everything, um, and quite a few of them had multiple chemical sensitivities, which, which means, like, you know, perfume will bother you, and you can't walk into the mall because you're overwhelmed with, with all the chemicals I, that are in the I air. I had that. It's, I would hold my breath ever since I was a kid walking down that soap aisle. Oh. Like fabric softener was like kryptonite. I, I totally get that. Totally. And, and it was like, okay, we'd give them a supplement, and then, then they'd feel worse. It would be something very benign, like a B vitamin. And so I wanted to find a way to help them. And I thought, okay, well, maybe their body has all these toxins that are stored within the body, and they're not getting them out correctly. So um, when you have a thyroid condition, you're not going to be sweating enough, right? and that means toxins are not leaving that way. You're all, always gonna have um, intestinal permeability or leaky gut, so toxins are not leaving that way. And you end up with um, circulating immune complexes that form to the antibodies that end up lodged in your liver. So then your liver is sort of like this overworked office worker that, that just is like frustrated with anything, and you come up and you, you know, you're like, here's a little perfume, and she's like, get out of my face. And so you end up being like, you end up being sensitive to everything. And so um, I started them on this liver support protocol. And um, I, I was actually surprised because one of my clients reached out to me within a week and she said, wow, you know, I'm at the mall with my kids again. I am shopping, like the Yankee Candle store is not bothering me. Like none of these things are bothering me like they used to. Her headaches resolved, her depression lifted, joint pains lifted. She was feeling like herself again. And that was within like a week of liver support. So I was like, huh. I think I'm onto something. And then um, really I started researching resiliency and, and thinking about how do we build up a person first um, before we give them like fancy stuff, right? And so I started thinking about what are the fundamentals of healing for each person? So what are the things that 
just about everybody can do to make themselves feel better, regardless of what their root cause is, because every Hashimoto's patient is like a snowflake. Everybody's got like a slightly different story. Um, but supporting our own body's natural protective defenses, so supporting the liver, um, helps to build resilience because now we're no longer toxic to everything. Um, supporting the adrenals, that means we're less stressed out and it means the world is, feels like a safer place because when your adrenals are burned out, you oftentimes feel like um, everything's a threat. And so that makes you feel safer. And then supporting the gut, you know, the gut is key in every autoimmune condition and so we couldn't ignore that. And, and, and really what we found is supporting those three body systems, people feel significantly better. Now, I've read a few new studies that talk about how leaky gut doesn't cause autoimmunity. Autoimmunity causes leaky gut. Uh -huh. Do you buy that? Um, you know, it's like a chicken or egg thing. And so it, it's hard to say. What I have found is that we know that there are certain things that cause leaky gut. And when we address those triggers, we can actually reverse it. And so I have seen, you know, addressing the gut can actually reverse autoimmune disease. So I would say, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that. Um, I think it could be a chicken or egg thing, but definitely there are foods that can cause it. There could be nutrient deficiencies. There could be infections within the gut that can cause leaky gut. For example, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. 50% of people with, um, with thyroid disease have it. And when we eliminate that, we can see a remission and, and we can see things improving. So yeah, so I would say give it a try at least, right? So, so now I have to ask this even though it's kind of a weird question. Is stinky farts a good way of potentially diagnosing thyroid disease? Stinky farts, um, you know, there's... <laughs> was, was, this the, was this the payback question? <laughs> no, I was just gonna say, you, you should talk to Michael. <laughs> Sorry, Michael, I love you, man. <laughs> Um, so actually, if you guys, if you want to get nitty gritty, so stinky farts can be a sign of sulfur toxicity, mm -hmm. sulfur intolerance, as well as giardia. So those are some potential things if you want to get into like fart smelling. Do you want, do you want to like do a demonstration? <laughs> like, I need a, a volunteer <laughs> from the audience. <laughs> you actually told me something a while back and uh, I've had a few parasites recently, uh, which is something I'm going to be writing about. And this was actually a couple years ago. I had dialed in, actually more than a couple now, I had dialed in the Bulletproof Diet. I'm like, it's effortless. I keep my weight where I want it. I'm never hungry. And then in like, oh, about five or six weeks, I gained 20 pounds. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, don't tell me butter doesn't work. I know it works. <laughs> and so I, I did some, some testing and I had blastocystis, which is a relatively common uh, parasite. And uh, I took some antiparasitics, killed it, and radically my weight control returned back to normal pretty quickly. Um, but I also had developed some food allergies at the same time I, that I think actually were more caused by taking, I was doing an extreme low carb diet for three months straight. So I had basically one serving of broccoli a day and the rest was like tons of fat and some meat, like I'm gonna be an Eskimo. Uh, there's a reason I like cyclical ketogenic diets, not full-time ketogenic or full-time carbogenic diets. So you told me, I don't know, several years later, that you've seen an increase in food allergies and people have blasto. Oh, this is my favorite parasite to talk about. Totally. I'm excited. I, I know you get all jumping up and down. <laughs> 
So, um, so Blastocystis hominis is like a protozoan parasite, so you can't see it with the naked eye, so it's not like a giant worm or any, anything crazy like that. But it's been connected with irritable bowel syndrome, and it's been connected with chronic hives, which are two conditions that are connected with Hashimoto's. There are so many studies connecting hives and Hashimoto's. And I was like, huh, that's so interesting. And I kept finding it, um, I personally had it, and I kept finding it in um, my clients with Hashimoto's actually about 25 to 35% of people will have it with Hashimoto's. Um, and what we find is whenever we address this parasite, we see thyroid antibodies reducing, um, a lot of food sensitivities going away, especially to grains, uh, sugar. Uh, it, it's just amazing that hives go away, irritable bowel syndrome goes away. And, um, and there was recently a study that was published in 2015, and I was like really jumping for joy because it was showing, it was a case study that showed um, remission of Hashimoto's with eradication of Blastocystis hominis. And I was like, I knew it, I knew it. So um, it was quite exciting for a health nerd. Um, I, I don't think my clients are as excited when I tell them that they have a parasite with a, like a big smile on their face. But I, I say it because we know that when we have it, we know that when we treat it, things get a lot better. What percentage of people in the room would you guess have this parasite? Uh, you know, I, I would say um, if you guys want to provide stool samples and do a study. <laughs> no, I, I think probably anywhere from maybe 25%. That would be my guesstimate, but That's I'd love to validate that. It's kind to 27%, isn't it? <laughs> it might be. So, so is it worth all of us getting a poop test? Right, it is. And, and the thing is, though, um, some doctors consider it a commensal organism, which means that they think it's supposed to be there. And they think it's part of your normal flora, but there's like there's like fighting scientists on either side. Um, and what it actually can do, like with knives and everything. I, I would think they'd be flinging poop at each other. <laughs> I, I mean, these kind of doctors. That too. Like, you you think it's commensal? You take this, right? Um, but it it actually does cause intestinal permeability or leaky gut, and it does cause IBS. And lo and behold, people that had hives and you treat it, the hives goes into remission. Lo and behold, same with IBS. So it's like. Um, key thing here is you need to do the right test for it. So if you go to your, I, th I think we're, we're both kind of preaching, we're preaching to the choir, but generally functional medicine testing is going to be able to pick it up a little bit better. It's a stool test. And then the treatments, um, we want to make sure we're not using metronidazole because it can be resistant to that. About 50% of strains are. It, it worked for me. Metronidazole. So yeah. you, ha you had like the, like the not certain types of strains. There's like eight different strains and about half of them are resistant. Um, the other half are not. Um, if, if you guys like look it up on Facebook, there are people that say like they could never get better from it. Um, and it's usually because they're not utilizing the right treatments, but you can uh, medication Alinea and then herbal protocols with oil of oregano, um, wormwood, as well as berberine um, over the course of two months can actually um, get rid of it as well as sarcomyces boulardi. So it is definitely something if you find it, um, you know it's not supposed to be there, if you, you can get rid of it. And, and it's, it's fun to see what kind of symptoms disappear. How much does that kind of a poop test cost? Hmm. Um, probably anywhere from 200 to $500, depending on which lab that you use. Okay, so that one's relatively expensive. Yeah. Uh, my experience with parasites has been that really successful parasites don't like to leave the body. <laughs> and the, only the bad ones leave. Well, like not bad for you, but they're just bad parasites. Like they're they aren't good at their job. <laughs> so I've uh, I've had some where I went to three different labs, 
and like no one could figure it out. And that was pretty bad. So I'll be doing a whole podcast about that. But I ended up having to go to an 80-year-old doctor who wrote eight textbooks on tropical diseases. And that guy took him like 20 minutes. So like, oh, yeah, I know. Why would you need a lab test? Like mm -hmm. I can just tell with my berry style master vision. Actually, he didn't. He used a scope. But anyway. <laughs> One of the keys is like multiple food sensitivities because generally if you are a person, if you, if you have a primary food sensitivity, it's only like maybe one to three. But when you have blasto, you're, you're just sensitive to everything like sugar and carbs and rice and, and you're just like, what's going on? I can't eat anything without being sensitive. Do you have people come to you for help who completely reverse their food allergies and can like eat everything? Um, we've seen a few people, and I don't recommend it, where they've utilized um, probiotics um, where they have said they can eat gluten without a reaction and dairy without a reaction. Um, I don't recommend it, but majority of times, for, for me, I, I was like sensitive to everything. I was like this thin, um, and I, I've reversed um, all of my food sensitivities. I avoid, except for gluten and dairy, which I avoid religiously, and then I also avoid nuts. But um, but yeah, we, we see that all the time where people get rid of food sensitivities, where they go from you know 16 to 27 to you know they just stay off of gluten and dairy. And so you're good with eggs now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could do eggs now. So I've I mean eggs are one of the best foods you can do. That's why they're in the the, the bulletproof zone on the bulletproof diet roadmap. And when I did this three month sort of crazy excessive. Uh, excessive fat and protein with zero carbs or almost zero carbs. Uh, I did a good number of eggs and I developed an allergy to those eggs and I'm like probably 70% better but I still don't eat eggs regularly which just when you travel it's like mother nature's perfect food not to mention they're good in ice cream. Mm -hmm. So and when you boil them and take them on a road trip it's like perfect it makes the car smell really nice according to my husband. Yep. <laughs> My wife says the same thing. <laughs> Actually, she's Swedish, and she's like, oh, that'd be great with sardines. I'm like, oh, <laughs> didn't win on that one. <laughs> Spoiled fish, we got that. <laughs> All right. If someone came to you and said, look, I think I might have Hashimoto's, but I don't really know where to start, what do you tell them to do first? Um, we'll definitely do the testing first to figure out what you're working with, so do antibody testing. And then um, what I really focus on, and, and this is part of my liver support protocol, is eliminating the most reactive foods. So those are going to be um, gluten, 88% of people with Hashimoto's feel better off of it. Um, dairy, about 80%. This um, is dairy protein, dairy sugar, dairy fat. Generally casein. So casein is okay. generally going to be the biggest problem for people. Um, so a lot of people, unless they have like a, a really severe casein reaction, um, like I do, they can usually tolerate things like ghee and even butter. Um, but generally, um, you know, like milk and whey protein mm -hmm. can even be a problem for a lot of people. And, and I just always recommend to exclude it for at least three weeks and see how you feel off of it. I know I was like doing whey protein shakes with yogurt and all this other great <laughs> stuff. And I was like, this is great. And then um, I found out I, I had like a really bad reaction. I was like, no way this food voodoo is not going to work. And three days later, like half of my symptoms were gone. So, um, so just something for people to consider. Um, sugar is another big trigger as well as soy. So you get off of these foods. Um, you add in different types of foods that support your thyroid. Um, bone broth is great. Green smoothies are great. Um, we're looking at supplements, selenium, 
um, which moose apparently like just as much as humans. Chocolate do. moose. <laughs> Meese. <laughs> Meese. Mooses. Um, and so selenium can be really, really helpful for thyroid disease, thiamine, magnesium, vitamin D. Um, get your B12 checked, get your ferritin checked. Um, do all these things, and you're going to start feeling significantly better when you get your um, you know, nutrition addressed. And these are, these are things a lot of times you could do in your own home. Like you don't need to go to like a fancy doctor. You could do it either on your own or with your regular um, doctor down the street. Awesome. Those are all the questions that I had for you, except for this last one. The problem is you've already answered the three things, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to just change it entirely. What are three things you're grateful for? Oh, what are three things I'm grateful for? Um, you know, I'm really grateful for having the opportunity to, to take back my health. And to, to actually, <laughs> I'm grateful for having had Hashimoto's. It sounds kind of crazy to say that because it allowed me to, um, you know, it really allowed me to fulfill like my passion and destiny of, of helping other people and becoming a healer. Um, I'm really grateful for the amazing support of people in my life, especially my husband, Michael, my mom, um, my friend, Dave Asprey. Um, and like another thing that I'm really grateful for is, is living in this digital age where information is really at your fingertips and we're making all of these crazy, crazy connections that would have taken us you know, thousands of years and thousands of hours to synthesize where we're all so connected. And, and um, you know, like I, f I feel really connected within everybody within my community, um, w within Dave's community, with all of you guys. Like I feel like we can share information so rapidly with, with each other and learn from each other, which, which is quite amazing when you're a nerd. <laughs> now, you mentioned earlier that you're not in your 20s, which I'm sure was a shock to a lot of people. Uh, yeah, I'm not in my 20s. Can you guys Now, do you remember Microfish? Microfish? <laughs> well, I also came to the U.S. when I was nine, so like a lot of the references from like the 80s are yeah. completely lost on me. I'm like, what? Leggings? Socks? What are you talking about? So that, that might <laughs> so, be a part of it. So that's okay. I hear that a lot when I talk to people under 30. And yeah, so I'm 25. If, if, yeah. <laughs> if you're a millennial, before Google, before Facebook and all that, the way we would do research like this is we'd go to the library and we'd look up in a little card catalog and be like, oh, a card catalog, I have one. It's an antique in my office because it's so cool. And, and you find this little number and then you go to the book and they're like, oh, sorry, that's on Microfish, which means some jerk took a perfectly good book and they took pictures of it and shrunk them down on these little tiny things. So you go through little envelopes and find little plastic things and put them under like a microscope and then scroll around until you find what you wanted and look through a little hole or on a screen. I thought these were elf books. <laughs> that would have been a better name than Microfish. Uh, but seriously, like, like that last grateful, is a, it, it's so easy to say, oh, like how, how, would you, uh, how would you look for a correlation between things when you can just search for it? It's, it's frighteningly easy. It would have taken, I would guess, 25 years of library research the old way to write my latest book. Like, it simply would not have happened. And I'm guessing with your book as well. Like you, you just couldn't have done it without the tech that we have at our, at our fingertips. No, I was able to survey over 2,000 people with Hashimoto's, which is like the largest survey of people with Hashimoto's ever done to figure out what was working best for them. 
and then include that in my book. And I was able to sit in my yoga pants and like download 800 like scientific papers onto my computer. And you know, they're, they're like taking a lot of space in our house, but I'm working on that. You wear pants when you write? <laughs> Only when I write on camera. When I'm off camera, I don't. I can tell you that most of my book was written between 11 p.m. and 5 a.m., but it was in my labs, which are separate from the house, so I was wearing pants because it was cold to get back into the house to go to sleep. So, Canada's cold. Yeah, they do that up there. Yeah. All right, and because we're in Denver, I have one more bonus question. Cannabis and Hashimoto's. <laughs> What's the connection? It's legal, so... <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, I get this question quite frequently, and can cannabis help Hashimoto's? Um, we've seen some benefits in people with, with joint pain, with carpal tunnel, which is a common symptom of Hashimoto's. So we have seen some benefits with that. Um, it can potentially act as an adaptogen as well, from what I've heard. So um, you know, I, I recommend usually other adaptogens because I work with people from all over the world, and not all of them have access. Um, the, the challenges could be like if you're already like fatigued and tired and brain fogged, may not work so well for you there. <laughs> so, you know, pros and cons. Is that why you moved here? <laughs> um, no comment. No, <laughs> no, it was, it's funny because I actually lived in Amsterdam before this, and people exactly. were like, people were like, why did you go to Amsterdam? Why didn't you just move to Colorado? And um, yeah, and, and that wasn't the reason why. I just I loved Colorado. Um, how can you not? I mean, we've got like so much sunshine. Everybody's gluten free. They ask you what food sensitivities you have when you walk into a restaurant. You could wear yoga pants out to a fancy club at night. In Boulder, like on New Year's Eve, we were all wearing sweatpants and dancing. Like, I mean, it doesn't get better than that. All right. <laughs> on that note, Isabella, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Where can people find you and where can they find your book? Thyroidpharmacist.com is my website where you guys can find me. Um, and I have all sorts of great gifts if you go to slash gift, um, obviously. <laughs> um, and then my book is everywhere on Amazon. It's in um, Barnes & Noble. And I'm actually doing a book signing on Saturday in Boulder at the Barnes & Noble if any of you guys want to come and say hello. Awesome. And for you listening in your cars rather than live or listening at work, you can go to that same thyroidpharmacist.com domain name and look up Isabella's work. It is absolutely worth doing. And if you're just interested in general detox stuff, her book is a wealth of knowledge. I highly recommend it. And while you're at it, do what you're supposed to do as someone who enjoys books. You go to Amazon and you leave a review after you read her book. And since you're already at Amazon or Barnes & Noble, if there was like a really cool orange book right next to it that said Headstrong on it, and you happen to pick it up, like maybe it's like a support for Isabella's book that beat Headstrong so thoroughly on the New York Times list, that would be okay too. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much. So much fun. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products.
Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.